Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Heidi Kujawa to the show. Heidi Kujawa is the founder and CEO of Bifusion, an innovative manufacturing company on a mission to clean up the planet and block plastic waste for good. Bifusion's modular systems convert all types of plastic waste, including marine debris, into a high-performing, reusable building material made entirely of plastic waste. Heidi's passion for innovation, technology, and sustainability propelled her to embark on a mission to develop a viable, scalable solution to help address the global plastic crises that threatens our waste management systems and our planet. Heidi, how are you doing today? I'm excellent, Raj. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on the on the podcast. Heidi, thank you for joining, and I'm super excited to speak with you. I'd like to start the conversation with something that might seem like it's out of left field, but I'm just curious, and it's our show so we can get to do what we want. Um, I would like to talk about your time in the movie industry, both at Sony and Paramount Pictures. The question is, yes, I see that, you know, back in the aughts, I guess they're called, you were part of the InfoSec security team for both those different movie studios. How did you end up there? You know, that's a really, that's a really interesting question. I think um, I love technology. Uh, I think the fascinating story is, in all actuality, I actually grew up swinging a hammer. Uh, I loved building stuff as a little girl. Some of my earliest memories were on the floor of my grandfather's factory, rooting around for scrap metal and wood to string together to figure out something to make. Um, but I realized as a young girl that, you know, girls weren't supposed to do that. And so while I rooted myself into technology as a career, I never really dropped that hammer. So interestingly enough, technology has changed through the years and when I started to get involved. And I have an insatiable appetite for, I'm very curious by nature. So, you know, I, I love solving complex problems. Technology really enabled us to do that as a civilization. Some of the biggest problems that we faced in Hollywood was that filmmakers started shooting on digital formats and, you know, the complex and movie acquisition and the whole, the whole process between film and DVD and then television changed so rapidly. We, we needed tech to evolve that industry. And so I was wonderfully thankful to be part of that industry at that very uh, at that very moment in time when you know technology really started to change the way that you know movies were made so the cool thing about it is while we've built some solutions to help support those new work streams uh, with technology that's when security just started to enter the conversation it started to be like, okay, well, now this is a digital format, and how am I going to protect it? You know, it was easier to, to handcuff a film canister to somebody's leg and 
make sure it didn't go anywhere. But once you have a bit or a byte floating on a server or a hard drive or a thumb drive, it was a little bit more difficult. So I naturally gravitate towards really complex problems, which is why I'm at Bifusion also. But, um, but that's how I got to information security. It's really, it was a, it was a, one of my life meanders down a, off the beaten path. Uh, I needed to answer the question. I needed to solve the problem. I needed to help solve the problem. And uh, I was thrilled at the opportunity to be able to do that. It's such great studios. So as we continue to meander down memory lane, I see that you next were with ENY in their cybersecurity sector. In 2014, Sony experienced a really large hack. What were some of the feelings in the industry when that happened? Being at the firm, overseeing the sector in the cyberspace, I mean, clearly, I think there, personally and professionally, I think there was a lot of things that happened. One is, as an information security professional, we were always waiting for those big situations to occur because it shook up the boardroom, you know, it, it enabled, it got, it got the attention of the boardroom. Um, this was catastrophic. So I, I hated seeing some of my, my former colleagues go through that pain. Um, but I also applaud their efforts, uh, the heroics and the camaraderie and the coming together of what that company did and endured and the leadership that some of my former colleagues exhibited was, it was an extraordinary, uh, to watch from the sidelines. But I do think it did change the landscape uh, of cybersecurity in the boardroom. Uh, it's been, I think that is when that, that particular incident, it touched every industry. And I think it was only then that people realized that it's something that they needed to pay attention to, that they needed to think differently about. And that for the first time ever, that it is a real threat and that there are such things as cyber warfare and it isn't far away. And I think even if we take it beyond that situation at, at Sony Pictures, we're starting to see some of that in our in our political landscapes now too. I don't wanna talk about politics, but we're starting to see that. We're starting to hear more about that. Cyber warfare is a very, very, very real thing. And so I, I'm grateful that uh, as a information security professional at that time at, a, at a, such a prestigious firm, that I was able to have some very different, real, changing uh, conversations with some of the best leaders uh, in the in the media and entertainment sector around cybersecurity because of that. And then, I, like I said, I'm just extremely grateful and applaud the efforts of my former colleagues who endured that horrific time. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned Bifusion. Let's fast forward to Bifusion. Can you give the audience an overview of Bifusion and your role at the organization? Sure. So Bifusion is a, uh, is a, is a waste infrastructure company that uh, we've developed a system that converts all of the unrecyclable plastic, all the plastic that people have no uh, interest in, no value, uh, can't be recycled or is very, very difficult to recycle, uh, which includes marine debris and agricultural plastics. Uh, and we enable that, we've developed a system that enables folks to take control of that waste and convert it into an alternative reusable building material called Biblock. That's only made of, of uh, plastic waste. There's no additives or fillers or glues or mortars or adhesives that are required to build, this, uh, build these blocks. And can you paint a picture of what one of these blocks look like? 
Yeah, it's uh, there's uh, our zero waste process creates a 22 pound, eight inch by eight inch by 16 inch hollow cement block alternative. So it's a little bit lighter weight than a than a traditional cement block, which makes it a little easier to use. Uh, but it's the same dimensions. And you mentioned marine debris and agricultural plastics. I think a lot of the audience will be familiar with the marine debris and the floating island. But what is a agricultural plastic? The agricultural plastic. So there's a lot of plastics that uh, that are the farming and agricultural industry uses uh, to grow the crops. Um, everything from creating uh, fumigation domes to prepare the soil for planting. Um, to humidity control once seeds are plant once seeds are planted to help those seeds really get their get a jump start if you will uh, all the way down to the drip lines uh, a lot of drip line uh, drip line technology is advanced that enables them to have better control over water uh, and so drip lines are used a lot these days in agriculture and that's all plastic um, right now all of that stuff goes directly to landfill. It's one of those single-use situations that nobody can do anything with. And uh, and we've spent a lot of time, especially during COVID, focus on, on R&D and, and making sure that our system was prepared for this material. We've done a lot of R&D on it. Um, it's a great, and it, they make great blocks. And what can the blocks be used for? So we're very much like, um, we fall into, it's a brand new material. So the, the, best, the best thing to think about is um, our blocks are going to be, can be used wherever lumber is used. So we're considered, a, a, I don't want to get too technical, but we fall in the category of a general utility type five construction application. Which type five is where, where all of the lumber product or lumber applications live. General utility encompasses anything from garden sheds, storage, um, single family residential projects, landscaping, fencing, uh, kiosks, uninhabitable spaces, walling applications. I mean, a whole slew. It's general utility, but it does include some residential applications as well, as well as commercial, but general utility across the board. And you mentioned you manufacture the block without any adhesives or mortars or, and without obviously giving away any trade secrets. How, how do you do that? So we have a, we're called by fusion because we actually fuse the plastic together. So it is, a, it is through our proprietary process that enables us to do that. We, our proprietary process we like to refer to as a thermal reset. So melting plastic is not a good thing. So we actually don't melt plastic. We fuse it together using our system. So I had the pleasure of interviewing the strategy officer for a company called Ubiquitous Energy a few weeks ago. They're manufacturing a solar-capable window. And he was mentioning one of the struggles, or one of the challenges they have is changing the mind of the current architects and builders to use their system in, in you know future buildings. What kind of challenges are you facing in you know, converting or changing or influencing individuals who are in the building organizations or architects to use your product? I think we actually have a different kind of problem. While I would agree that you know one of the challenges that we face in the building materials industry or even in the construction industry is that we've, as a civilization, we haven't really changed how we've built stuff in centuries, really. <laughs> Um, and so change is hard in this space. 
but I, 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 unfortunately, I don't. I think our problem is a little different. We we have a lot of demand for our block. I think people are in search of in search of finding alternative building materials to build with. Um, there's a lot more incentive uh, for for architects and and builders to use sustainable products. And so I think windows are a little different because they're such a major uh, part of an exterior, uh, both in form and function and aesthetic. And our product is a little, is much different. It is a, it's intended to be clad so it can be mirrored to match the aesthetic of any. And it's also very, acts very much like an insulating filler product. So it's just a really, really versatile uh, material that has a lot of demand. Our problem is that we just can't keep up with the demand right now. we got to get some more machines out in the world. Well, speaking of keeping up with demand, where do you source your plastics? So this is the interesting thing. So our, our mission isn't necessarily to build a bunch of bifusion brick and mortar facilities around the world. Our, our, our sole mission is to enable communities and corporations the ability to take control of their own plastic waste, to convert their waste into a building material that can then be used uh, within local communities to serve and service those lo- local communities. And so we look at ourselves very much like a, a platform that enables change uh, to enable cities to take more responsibility and accountability and more transparency in their waste management process. So we don't necessarily source plastic. We provide this. We provide the hardware and infrastructure required just for cities to do that, cities and corporations to do that themselves to process their own waste. Does that make sense? It it does. And I'm going to cheat because I've spoken to you before. But you have a modular system. Can you give us the breakdown of how that system works? Yeah. So the one thing that's really important to me as we as we develop this system is that it's scaled to meet the volume demands of uh, the city or the operation where it was going to be installed. So it is very modular. Our base model is is in a shipping container, so it can be dropped and, and plugged in virtually anywhere uh, that has the right power resources, of course. And then um, and then we scale from there. So we have a, a modular containerized version, and then we have an industrial line of equipment that, again, still daisy chains together to meet the volume demands of the operation. And earlier you mentioned that you can use all the plastic, so no exceptions, all one through seven? All one through seven. Now, clearly, you know, there's value in, in, the, in, several, in several of the, the plastic types today. Most of the food-grade products that we see, the, pack, or the packaging or the water bottles, keep the, if, there's, if, the, if the community or operation has an outlet to put that, that material in, back into the recycling that can be reconstituted with traditional recycling methods, then do it. So there's a lot of value in that material. So yes, we can make blocks out of that material, but why would we if there's, you know, if we can leverage traditional uh, mechanisms to keep it into the into the stream? Uh, but yes, everything else, no problem. And you mentioned communities and cities. If a community is interested in purchasing one of your units, again, I don't want to hold you to this, but can you give a ballpark figure of what that might cost? And also, do you provide ongoing training? Yeah, I mean, we're all about transparency, and uh, and the other thing is we're we're about as services. So we don't really view ourselves as a as a transactionary business. We recognize that cities don't necessarily know how to sell building materials, nor do they need to need to. Um, our goal is to be a service provider to cities, 
Um, and we provide our services actually vary in two different ways. We do a hardware only service where we come and plop the system down. We'll help train uh, local operators to, to run the operation as well as, you know, work with local builders on how to build with the material. Uh, we'll also come in and do all the quality inspection, uh, make sure the building material continues to live up to the standards that were required, uh, and then also provide services and upgrades along the way. If the city does have a surplus or uh, makes enough blocks that they can't use it, then we'll come in and help move that material into the market. And we do that with either a guaranteed buyback program or a revenue split. So uh, there's a couple different ways to think about the services that we provide. The base service uh, that we provide uh, starts at about $300,000 a year. It's a really affordable piece of equipment that enables companies to or communities to take control of their waste and create their own building materials so there's a lot of upside from a cost perspective i'll also add that it also can create jobs too yes for sure it is essentially like an adult lego so you know anybody can stack these blocks which enables more people to participate in construction uh, construction work, which there is always uh, influx of need and the uh, demand for workers in that industry. Uh, and so, you know, it enables communities to tap into a whole nother labor pool to help satisfy uh, construction demands for their communities. And speaking of the block, how long did it take the company to manufacture its first usable block? What was that journey like? It was extraordinarily painful. Um, <laughs> it took us, it took us a long time. Uh, you know, we started, uh, well, it took us longer than, than I, than I had hoped. It was easy to get the basic formation done. And then the difficult part was getting it, being able to produce it in a consistent way that, that we're able to uphold the American standards per building material. Right. And then of course, um, do that continually at a rate and throughput that would make economic sense. So that's really the fine tuning. The concept didn't take too long. It was making it scalable and mass producible at a high quality for the market. That took a long time. Years. How long? I mean, we've been working on this for five years. And what was the first use case when after you built one or manufactured one? You know, it was really around, we initially figured, let's just focus on the low hanging fruit. Um, I, I think that again, it's a, it's a, it's an extremely versatile product. Um, the, the products that we're going to market right now uh, are just, we're just scratching the surface of what, what's coming. Um, so we're, we were focused on low hanging fruit, walling applications, landscaping, temporary structures, inhabitable, uh, uninhabitable spaces, storage sheds, stations, you know, there's a number of, there's so many applications, sound walls, privacy fencing, there's so many things that we could do um, with the blocks right out of the gate. So that, you know, enabled us to get, make them even better, faster, stronger. Uh, there'll be more complex applications coming down the pipe. You know, I think it's fascinating. And you've been part of this journey now for about six years. Do you have any ideas of just the scale or the, you know, the magnitude of what we need to do as a society to help mitigate this plastic problem that we have? I think it's, it's, it's literally just, put, it really comes down to two things. One, you have to just be mindful, just be mindful of, and two, put it in the right bin. That's really, that's really what it's all about. Um, the fascinating thing to me is that there are communities 
in our country, in our great nation, who do not have the capability or the means or the service to sort and recycle their plastic material or even cardboard or glass. Like there's no, it's like there's one garbage can, there's one pickup if you're lucky, and it goes straight to the landfill. So it's fascinating to me that if, if America can't make this a standard offering for every community, then we're in a world of hurt, right? So it's really just about taking control of your waste and being mindful of where you're putting it. I like the idea of being mindful, but you know, carrots and sticks, incentives. If you had a, if, if you had a, a magic wand, governor, king for the day, queen for the day, what would you recommend, suggest? Well, I think, I, think, I think the challenge is this. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that not all plastic is created equal. You know, we've made it extremely, extremely difficult. There's no community. Uh, the community, what you're, what you're told to put in the, in the blue bin, in the recycling bin, if you have it, is different than the neighbor, your next door neighbor, in the neighboring city, I should say. It's just a very, it's very complicated. It's too complicated, which I think is why people aren't doing it or really they're like, why bother? You know, like, I don't know. I can't tell what this is. I don't even know if it's supposed to be there. And then where does it go? And does it, it ends up in the ocean anyway. So who cares? Like, I think people are just exhausted by the whole notion of what's going on in this space. And they feel a little, you know, it's a little smoke and mirrors a bit. You know, I think people are getting more wise that, you know, what we're doing isn't working and they don't have another choice. It's not like you can choose to select another garbage bin to put out in your curb and something else happens. That's just that option isn't available today. And that's really where we're trying to help change the course is I think that, you know, people also don't realize that how complicated the process is. Once you do have a piece of plastic, the journey that that piece of plastic goes through to get back into a raw material so that it can be remade back into a water bottle. I mean, like it's super complicated and it takes a lot of energy and it's never a guarantee. And you don't even know if it's going to work until the very last minute. So I think that there's, um, you know, I think with BiBlock, it's something that you can see and feel and touch and you see the fruits of your labor immediately. There's no, there's no third party thing. You literally eat your lunch or throw it in the machine. You make a block and you stick it in a wall. It's really, you can see that right in front of your face. There's no tricks. There's no processing. There's no other materials. Um, and I think once we get this into the hands of more people, they'll, they, we will be able to incite change because they can see the benefit. Well, speaking of change, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. We started out the conversation with your time in cybersecurity, working for the, the large Sony and Paramounts of the world. What is your why? What made you change direction, become an entrepreneur and become so passionate about plastics and then biofusion? Well, it was interesting. I, um, I, I'll never forget. I had, honestly, it was a little bit of a midlife crisis, Raj. I... <laughs> was uh, after I left Paramount, I saw a need for some software, software as a service platform for mid-tier companies. So I bit the bullet, gave it a whirl, did some testing within my network, and ultimately sold, uh, sold my company to EY. That's how I got to the firm. They, they acquired my, my software when it was in beta, which was great. I loved it. It was about... Um, 
it was a couple of years, maybe not even a couple of years, but it was not that long into my tenure at the firm that they they changed their the tagline uh, to building a better working world. And I remember I was in New York. I was walking through Bryant Park from the office to a client meeting, and I just couldn't stop thinking about that, building a better working world, building a better working world. And and I, I found myself not being able to get behind it. And that really started a very intense conversation with my inner self about why, why can't I get behind that? And it really boiled down to the fact that I didn't want to build a better working world. I just wanted to build a better world. And so I had a little bit of a midlife crisis to try to figure out what that meant and how, what I was going to do with that new information. And long story longer, I mean, like, when when we break it down to why do I do what I do, it's because I love complex problems and I love construction. I love building things. I love getting my hands dirty and I and I love tech. I love technology. And so Bifusion really enables me to do everything that I love under one roof and take part in being a solution for the plastic crisis in this ever-evolving heartbeat of society that both of which become one of the most complex challenges of our planet today. So that's why I do what I do. You know, you've mentioned mindfulness a couple of times. You mentioned having the conversation with your inner self, and then you mentioned building a better world. Why is building a better world important to you? Well, I think, I think we need to. I think that we've, we're, we only have one planet, right? And we're clearly not taking care of her at all. She's angry. <laughs> She's very angry. And, uh, and, and I think that we've also, we've also lost sight of humanity. I feel like there's a lot of divisiveness going on in the world right now. Um, the thing about plastic crisis is I think regardless of what side of the fence or where you are in the world, it's one thing that people relate to. And, and it's one thing that I think that we need everybody to to be to care for it because we're, we're no one no one company and no one country is going to solve this. We all have to do it collectively, and I think that you know if we take control of the plastic waste and convert it to something that can be used for real immediately, then then I know that collectively as a society we'll be able to solve this problem. So it sounds almost like plastic is our common denominator. I mean, it could be it's everywhere. <laughs> Who I never thought, thought about right? it that way. I think that's pretty awesome, Rush. <laughs> so six years on this particular journey, what's the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself? Hmm. Not afraid to fail. And because I don't really look at it as failure, I really look at it as aha moments. And uh, I've, I've, learned, I've learned that I've be, I'm a lot more patient than I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> where does the, the non-fear of failure come from? Um, I'm actually not afraid to fail. I, I think that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you 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 have to accept failure as part of the journey. Like I think I think the thing about failure is it, it's actually not. It's it's a lesson that's supposed that you're supposed to learn from. It's not. I think I think Thomas Edison said it. I didn't fail ten thousand times. I just found ten thousand ways not to do it. That's something that I totally believe. I mean, that's what we believe. I believe that we do that every day. It's interesting you say that, and I usually save this question till the end, but I'm going to ask it now in a different framework. So I have three young kids, they're in school, and they're continuously taught 
that failure is bad, failure is wrong, there's the shame, embarrassment that comes with failure. And you see individuals go all the way through the school system, go through college with this this um, sort of Damocles, if you will, hanging over them about failure. And then when they come out of college, it's don't be afraid to fail. How would you recommend, suggest advice for individuals that are perhaps listening and have that concern about failure? How, how could they work through it to where they can perhaps not escape it, but um, not succumb to it as much? Well, I don't know. I think it's really, I think, I think it's really, that's a really personal, um, it's a really personal answer. I mean, like, I'm sure that there were moments growing up that I could recall in sports that I couldn't get past something that I messed up or I failed at, or I wasn't as good as I wanted to be at something. I'm sure that those moments, and I I know they do that today too. I mean, I'm, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I'm not afraid to pretend like I'm one, right? (laughs) Like you have to be, you have to really push the boundaries of what your comfort zones are. Um, I think, I think if people can just recognize that if failure, you need to fail in order to succeed because there's always a yin and a yang. There's always a left and a right. There's always a, you know, multiple ways of doing things. And, you know, that's why there's playbooks and that's why there's frameworks and that's why there's, you know, some guide rails along the way. Like you have to, I think you have to be open to fail because that's the only way you know success, really. I love that idea of being open to fail. And so let's move into the future. It's 2030. If Business Week, Newsweek, Fortune were to write a headline, an article about Bifusion, what would you like it to read? Give me a minute on that one. That's a good one. Sure. Bifusion helps can, helps the world solve the plastic crisis. Now that's a big, hairy, audacious goal, isn't it? Yeah. It's beautiful. So Heidi, thank you very much for your time today. I look forward to seeing your BHAG come to life and catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much, Raj. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.